let's get to it. We're going to the book of Acts. We are part three of our series right now, uh, O Church Arise. And what we're doing is we are exploring stories in the book of Acts where God's people arise, where God's people are called to arise to action, hoping to find ways God may be calling his church today to rise to action. Things that he wants us to go and do and be for his glory. And so today we're in Acts chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and towards the end here, I think it's verse uh, 32 that we're going to start. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 is where we will start. We'll go from 32 to the end. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. Okay, so so far we've looked at two, uh, two different stories where God's people arise. Right. Um, it was Acts chapter eight where Philip arose. You know, he went on God's errands. He went to to the certain road at a certain time to read a, meet a certain man who was studying a certain scripture uh, that pointed him to Jesus. That was arising to mission. Uh, last time we talked about Saul and Ananias arising in their blindness and in their uncertainty, arising to trust God, arising to do something for God that they had no idea what was going on. But today is a different kind of call to arise. Okay, today is a different kind of call. Um, today's call to arise is not just arising in order to do something for God, but it's actually a, an invitation to arise to be made whole by God. All right, so that's where we're going. Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 32. There's two stories here kind of tucked away here at the end of the chapter. We've looked at Philip, we've looked at Saul, Ananias. Now we're getting back to Peter. Okay. Acts chapter 9, verse 32, I'm reading from the New King James, and the Bible says, Now, it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Okay, now this is really interesting, because Peter is on the move, right? He's going through, at least in the New King James, it says, he goes through all parts of the country, which is pretty incredible for a Jew to actually be going outside of Jewish boundaries, okay? Um, if you remember, the last time we saw Peter and the apostles was actually mentioned in Acts chapter 8, in verse 1, where there was great persecution that arose in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that there were people that scattered all throughout the area, except who? Do you remember who? Except the apostles. Peter and the others, they stayed home, or at least they stayed in Jerusalem where they felt that it was safer, or maybe God was calling them specifically to, to keep uh, strong the missions right there in Jerusalem. And that's what Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just flip the numbers, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, kind of gives us the table of contents to the book of Acts, where you'll be my witnesses to me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So starting right at home, and then ever-increasing circles. Anyways, what's happening here is that by the time you come to Acts chapter 9, Things have drastically changed from chapter 8, verse 1, where they stayed home in Jerusalem, to here, chapter 9, verse 32, where they're actually on the move. Peter and the others are on the move. What, what happened, what transpired between Acts 8, verse 1 and 9, 32? Well, a lot of things. A lot of things have changed. The gospel was preached in Samaria, <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit fell on believers in Samaria. Uh, there was a man named Saul who was a great persecutor of Christians, who actually was converted and now became a preacher of Christianity. Okay, so a lot of things have changed. And now Peter himself 
is on the move. He's part of that church that is arising, that is stepping out in mission. And eventually he arrives in a town called Lydda, according to verse 32. Now, let's get to verse 33. What, does, what happens when he gets to Lydda? The Bible says this, There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and who was paralyzed. So here's Peter. He's going through all parts of the country. He gets to this town, uh, maybe 11 miles northwest of Jerusalem, kind of on the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And it, the Bible says in verse 33, mine says, there he found a certain man. Does anybody else's Bible say it differently? No, no, no. Not, not there he was introduced to, but there he found. Now, that, that word to me, there he found, kind of indicates to me, well, it could have been a discovery finding, like a, a happenstance, just kind of a chance occurrence. But it almost has this sense that Paul was, was looking, right? He was searching for a divine appointment. He was looking, and there he found, well, what did he find? He found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years. So here's Peter. He's sensitive to a need of a specific individual whose name is Aeneas. And what exactly was that need according to this verse? Well, one, he was bedridden, right? He was stuck in bed. He was laid out, lying down, unable to, to stand, right? Why? Because he had been paralyzed. This was a condition he had experienced for eight long years. Eight long years. Now the word here for paralyzed, the word here for paralyzed is paraluo, which actually carries the idea of, of joints loosening, of a side just being loosened. And in, in other instances in the New Testament, that word is used as, in terms of feeble or weakened. And we'll look at some of those verses later on. But here is this man who is bedridden because he is weak. He is, he is unable to move. And I love what Peter does when he is moved to arise to this need. In verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. I mean, just, just slow down right there. Do you hear the sermon in a sentence right there? First of all, Peter is asserting something about Jesus. Who is Jesus, according to this sentence-long sermon? He is the Christ, right? He is the anointed one. Christos in the Greek, Mashiach in the Hebrew. He is the anointed one, the promised one, the long-awaited Savior. Peter is reasserting again, Jesus is the one. And then he says, Jesus the Christ heals you. Heals you. That's present tense as though Jesus is alive, right? He's not just an idea that does good thinking or at least results in optimal thinking, optimum thinking, whatever, optimistic thinking. No, no, no. He is a person. He is the promised one who is alive. He heals you. He heals you. Man, this is a confident proclamation. And that confident proclamation about Jesus Christ, who present tense heals him, is actually, it's paralleled with, or it's, it's followed up with a, a clear identification of who he is. Jesus the Christ heals you. And then, what's the imperative? Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. I love it. I love it. Arise and make your bed. And here's the arise, okay? This is the next occurrence of arise in the book of Acts. What is, what is Aeneas being called to arise to? He's being called to arise to healing. 
He's being uh, called to arise to a wholeness that he hadn't experienced in eight long years. And I love the fact that this is Jesus the Christ heals you. This is not Jesus could heal you if you believed enough. This is not Jesus might heal you. Uh, if you're a Greek grammar nerd, this is in the indicative mood, not the subjunctive mood. Indicative indicates reality and certainty. Subjunctive is possibility. No, this is in the indicative. Jesus heals you. And so the command is to act in accordance with what is true. The description, Jesus Christ heals you, is followed by the prescription, arise and make your bed. Arise and live in the wholeness that Jesus Christ supplies. Arise and leave behind your former paralysis, disability, inability, and downtrodden life of eight years. This is awesome. <laughs> I love the fact that, uh, you know, Peter's call to arise is coupled with this idea of making your bed. You know, for those of you who are neat freaks or who just, <laughs> who just like to, to be, to be uh, responsible, this is a good, <laughs> this is a good reminder. Make your bed. No. Um, well, what, uh, what Peter is actually instructing, commanding here, is that part of arising is to put away what you formerly needed. Okay, let's make the parallels. Start drawing the applications. If we are being called to arise, I don't know what kind of paralysis healing we are in need of. But when we arise to healing, the things we once relied upon, can and should be left behind. Here's the reality. Sometimes the healing and wholeness that we want to walk in requires a rolling up and a putting away of the former life. Why? Why? To keep us from lying down again, right? To keep from returning to our own vomit, so to speak. You know, if we have joined our lives to Jesus... Why would we keep the, the old phone numbers of our sinful lives, right? Why would we keep the old love letters of our former attractions? So question today is simply this. What kind of paralysis is God calling us, you, me, to arise from today? Again, the word uh, for paralyzed here, it's, it's used only a few times in Luke's writings. Four times, actually. Um, once in Luke chapter 5. Uh, describing the, the paralytic that was lowered through the roof. And then in Acts chapter 8, where there was some healing of, of those who were palsied or paralyzed. And then here. And then there's one other time in the New Testament that this particular form of the word is used. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12. It's really interesting. Paul uses this idea. And maybe you're asking yourself, well, you know, it's a, it's a story about a physical healing. Why, why should we allegorize that or, or, you know, make it a spiritual metaphor? Well, I think Paul does the same just with this concept of being paralyzed or paraluo, things loosening and weakening. Hebrews chapter 12 actually says this. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. That's paraluo right there. Those that are loosened and weakened. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Is he talking about literal hands? Is he talking about literal knees that, that need some replacement? No. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. He's talking about a spiritual condition. For the, if, you've, if you've studied through the book of Hebrews, those in the book of Hebrews are being discouraged in their lives. They're, they're kind of confronted with persecution. They're confronted with this idea, what did I sign up for, you know? 
And the theme throughout the book of Hebrews, you know, in my mind, I kind of categorize the books of the New Testament with kind of one word, uh, you know, vitamin E for endurance is kind of what, what I have for, for Hebrews in my mind. You know, Philippians is vitamin J for joy, you know, those kinds of things. But Hebrews is all about endurance. He's talking about running the race with endurance. Well, how can we run this race if our hands are weak, if our, if our knees are feeble? He's talking about soul strength. Get up, he's saying. Make straight paths for your feet. Rise up and be healed. We're, we are all experiencing a paralysis of some sort. And I love the description and desire of ages where Ellen White is talking about the story of that man who, who not, not who was lowered through the roof, but uh, the paralyzed man who was at the pool of Bethesda, uh, recorded in John chapter 5. And um, it, he, she says this, by sin, so she, she's talking about his experience, but then applying it to our own. She says, by sin, we have been severed from the life of God. Our souls are palsied. Like that's another word for paralyzed. Our souls are palsied. Of ourselves, we are no more capable of living a holy life than was the impotent man capable of walking. Whew. Can I get a witness? <laughs> right? Just as one man who is sitting by the pool of Bethesda cannot get himself to help, you and I have no capacity to fix ourselves. This whole idea of, of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and stuff, it may work as an American dream, but it's not the gospel. You and I are no more capable of living a holy life than was the impotent man capable of walking. The quote continues. She says, There are many who realize their helplessness, who long for that spiritual life which will bring them into harmony with God. Let these desponding, struggling ones look up. The Savior bids you arise. Amen. The Savior bids you arise in health and peace. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Believe his word and it will be fulfilled. That, that means that arising is an exercise of faith. Right? Jesus the Christ heals you. Well, that's a nice idea. No, I will act upon that. I will now arise, make my bed and put it away. And in what ways are our hands hanging in what ways are our knees unsteady with feebleness? Friends, today, do you believe that Jesus the Christ heals you? He does. Jesus is alive. He is the Christ, and he does heal. I love it. Isaiah 53, verse 5. I was in this all uh, the last two weeks, just reading through Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. I don't know. That, 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 that transition, I don't know if you caught that. It was all past tense, past tense, past tense. So it's describing what he did. It's describing what he did. And then it's describing what we are. I don't know, that, that really stood out to me. By his stripes, we are healed. The power of the cross has undone whatever paralysis you and I may experience. We are made whole by his stripes. So if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, not just that he can heal us or that he wants to heal us, but that he actually does heal us, then let's arise. 
Let's arise. Let's put that bed away. Let's lay aside the things we may rely upon in our weakness and exercise this faith day after day. Whatever healing or wholeness we long for. You know, we, we, we sometimes we, we want it in a day, but maybe it comes day by day as we ex- exercise our faith in God's power to heal. Go back to the story in Acts. I love how this story kind of rounds out in verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 34. Let's see, arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. That's verse 34. And then in verse 35. So all who dwelled at Lydda and Sharon. So apparently it wasn't just localized. This miracle happened in Lydda, but the influence of it spread beyond. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Praise God. When one arises to healing and wholeness, many are impacted. When one arises, many turn. (laughs) Praise the Lord that God's call to arise isn't just limited to doing things for God. God's call to arise is also about being made whole by God. It's also, I mean, there are times when God needs us. Yes, he needs us to arise, to go from a position of inactivity to activity. But there are also times when God invites us to arise from a position of unhealth to a position of wholeness. And you may say, oh man, that might be good for him, that might be good for her. But there are just some aspects of my personal weakness and feebleness that you have no clue about. (laughs) Things that are too far gone, things that are way too buried beneath the surface that are not just in a state of paralysis, they're six feet under, they're in a state of death, right? Well, praise God, there's another Arise story waiting for you too. (laughs) In Acts chapter 9, or verse 36, let's keep going, because this is a story of a woman who is called to arise, not just from paralysis, but from the grave itself. Okay, verse 36. At Joppa, now this is about 11 and a half miles northwest of Lydda. So at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So here's this woman, Tabitha, or you can call her Dorcas. She's a woman that's really well-known. She's a woman of renown, not so much because of her great accomplishments and achievements and things she's done out in the public, etc., but just because of her great love, because of her great charity. I want you to know that your acts of kindness are never small. There is no such thing. We have this magnet on our, on our refrigerator. There is no such thing as, an, as a small act of kindness. Because they're all great in God's sight. And uh, she, she became sick, you know, Tabitha, Dorcas. She eventually becomes sick, the Bible says in verse 37. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So here's this group of believers who are heartbroken because this woman that had done so much for the church, so much, not just for the church, but probably for the entire community, this valuable, uh, you know, this, this person who is of great value and worth in their own lives is now gone. And the Bible keeps going. The story continues. In verse 38, it says, And since Lydda, that's the town where Aeneas was healed, since Lydda was near Joppa, probably about a day's journey, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, makes you kind of wonder what else they heard about Peter while he was there in Lydda, 
They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. I, I love this. You know. Here's a group of believers who've just experienced a grievous death. They're heartbroken, but their hope is not broken. You know, they've just laid someone up in the upper room. They've watched her, prepared her for burial. But you know what? God's not done with this yet. (laughs) So they send two men. They send two men. It's not too late to send for help in their minds. You got to love the faith of this community to send for Peter, right? It's uh, whether to send for encouragement of the brethren. Maybe, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they expected Peter to do. Maybe they just wanted him to do the burial rites. You know, maybe they just wanted him to facilitate a a time for for grieving and and to encourage the believers. Or maybe they really knew that God's not done and that Peter can be an instrument through which God can do the impossible. And either way, hope never dies when Jesus is part of the picture. Okay, so the story continues. Verse uh, 38, the two men ask him without delay to come to them. In verse 39, then Peter arose. Here's Peter arising, okay? Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So here's Peter. He arises to the need. And he arises without delay, right? The two men that, that went to him, they're like, hey, come without delay. Now, I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. If Peter was thinking to himself, I mean, I'm sure he was told the story, Tabitha Dorcas, this great woman of faith, she has passed away. But I don't, I don't know what, you know, plans he was making in his mind. Well, okay, when I get there, I'm going to do this, this, and this. <laughs> you know? Or if he just had no clue... And he still arose without delay anyway. You know, maybe you've experienced this, that when the needs of others are presented to you, you often wonder yourself, you know, wonder, like, what can I do about that? How can I possibly be? I want to tell you, that's going to happen if it hasn't happened yet. Others' needs will be presented to you. Your kids' needs will be presented to you. Your relatives, your neighbors, they, they may, you know, bring things to you and say, uh, can you help us? And you will often wonder, to yourself, can I really be of any use here? You know, do I even have what it takes to help in a practical, impactful way? But I want to tell you something. Our ignorance about how to help doesn't mean that we can't arise to help. Okay, I don't, I don't think Peter had it all figured out when he just arose and went with the two men. His ignorance about what he was going to do didn't stop him from going to help. Peter probably didn't have all the answers about what he could, could or would do to help the believers in Joppa. He simply arose to the need, arose to be present with those who were in need without delay. And God can use our availability. Even if we're fraught with ignorance and anxiety, I don't know what I'm going to do. We can still go to be with, go to meet the need. And in verse 40, the story continues. But Peter, my Bible says, but Peter put them all out. Is that what your guys says? Something similar? Yeah. Put them all out. In other words, he emptied the room. He, he goes to, to uh, where, where is this now? He goes to Joppa, right? He goes to Joppa. He goes to that upper room where Tabitha is laid. And he empties the room out. He puts them all out and he knelt down and prayed. Now, as I was studying this story, 
this week. What struck me was that this sounds awfully familiar. It was kind of like a little bit of deja vu. Have you seen a story where someone had just died and someone is called to help? And when he comes to help, he empties the room. He, he asks people to leave. Yeah, yeah. What story are you thinking of? Say it again. Jairus? Yeah, Jairus. Right, right, right. Okay, so the story of Jairus, uh, it's probably recorded in other places, but Mark chapter 5 is what comes to mind. And there Jesus is called to, to heal Jairus' daughter, um, but then he gets a message. Oh, man, your daughter is sick. Don't trouble the master anymore. So Jesus goes anyway. Don't be afraid. Only believe. He gets to Jairus' house. He, he sees all the mourners and stuff. She's, he says, uh, no, she's only asleep. They start laughing at him, <laughs> right? You know the story. It's Mark chapter 5, and Jesus empties the room, except for Peter, James, and John. No, no, no. Except for the mother and father, I think it is. Anyways, so as I was reading this, I was like, man, this sounds awfully familiar to that story. And if you remember, in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus says these two simple words. Talitha kumi. Right? It's Aramaic for little girl arrived. But it's awfully close to what Peter says right here. Tabitha, or maybe we could say Tabitha, arise. And you know what happens? She opens her eyes. (laughs) She opens her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Man, this is so awesome. I mean, this is just a, a really awesome story of Peter arising, and he's trying to follow Jesus' example. I've seen you do this. I'm just going to walk in your shoes. I don't know what you have in store. But as he kneels to pray there, he arises with a confidence that Tabitha still has a work to do. He turns there and says, Tabitha, arise. And what does he do next? As, as she sits up in verse 41, then he gave her his hand. Oh, by the way, this is what Jesus did to Jairus' daughter. He lifted her by the hand. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. I love how Peter swiftly presents Tabitha to the saints and the widows. Right? When God raises us from our own spiritual death, he leads us to those that we can help and to those that can help us. He, he leads us to be surrounded by community, support, and more opportunities for more service. And again, what happens as a result of this woman's arising, not just from paralysis, but now from death. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Again, one person's arising leads to many others believing. Awesome stories, right? This is the church arising. Actually, it's also a picture of the church calling others to arise. Aeneas' paralysis was no match for the healing power of Jesus. Tabitha's death was no match for the resurrection power of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is alive. And Jesus heals. Jesus the Christ heals us. I really believe that these stories are recorded. Not just so we can say, wow, the early church was so awesome. I wish we were that. I think these stories are recorded so that we are invited to arise. So that we can be uh, invited to arise to healing, arise to wholeness, arise to life in the name of Jesus, the Christ who heals. 
You know, there's a verse in Isaiah 60, verse 1, that I thought I would use more in our uh, sermon series, but um, in Isaiah 60, I'm sorry, this is the Amplified Version. Let's, let me look it up here. If you have the Bible, go for it. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Don't look at the screen just yet. <laughs> Isaiah 60, verse 1. When you're there, say, I found it. Okay. Isaiah 60, verse 1. In fact, we sang a song a couple of weeks ago, kind of using the words from, from this, uh, these verses. It says, Arise, shine. Why? For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Right? Here, here's an Old Testament word from God saying, Arise. And don't just arise, but also shine, radiate. For what purpose or what reason? It's because God's radiance, God's glory is risen upon you, right? And this is beautiful. And I usually hear this verse, Isaiah 60, verse 1, arise and shine. I usually hear this in my mind as God's call to arise in service, to arise and share your light with others. Let your little light shine, right? I usually hear it as God's call to service, empowered by the Spirit of God. But what if... What if this is also a call to arise to the healing presence of God? Not just his empowering presence, but also his healing presence. Why do I say this? Uh, This is what I came across in the Amplified Version, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise from spiritual depression to a new life, and then shine, be radiant with the glory and brilliance of the Lord. For your light has come, and the glory and brilliance of the Lord has risen upon you. And that just kind of turned, just the slight, ever so slightly, but significantly. Right? Arising, this invitation to arise, is given to a people here in Isaiah who had been uh, kind of downtrodden by the results of their own making, right? The destruction, the oppression of other captive nations or captivating nations. And God is calling them to arise. Arise to a new life. Arise from your spiritual oppression, depression, whatever you want to call it, and then shine because God's presence makes us whole. And so I want to, this is, again, you know, I've kind of been reading through Revelation uh, with several different people that I've been studying this with and stuff, and now there's a picture of, of God's people throughout the book of Revelation. You know, in Revelation 7, they're called 144,000, Right? And they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They're sealed with the seal of the living God in their foreheads. Later on in chapter 14, that's God's people there. They have the name of God in their foreheads, the very character of God in their foreheads. They're standing with the Lamb. So they have arisen, right? They're standing with the Lamb. They follow Him wherever He goes. And you think to yourself, man, where did these awesome spiritual giants come from? (laughs) You know where they came from? They came from Laodicea. Do you know what I'm talking about? Laodicea. The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 is describing not just those literal churches in that literal area. It's describing prophetically periods of God's church and what they would be looking like or characteristic of. And the picture of God's church at the end of time is that they're lukewarm, ready to be spit out of the mouth of God. It's a picture of a church that has Jesus on the outside actually knocking to get in, (laughs) right? How can God's people be this? Well, praise the Lord, God's people don't stay there. 
if you follow the progression of Revelation, the 144,000 who stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion have come from Laodicea. In other words, they have arisen from their spiritual death. They have arisen from their spiritual apathy and indifference. Praise the Lord that God can bring life where there was no life. Amen. <laughs> I'll say it for myself. Amen. I want that today. I want that today. And I just, I guess as we wrap up here, I just want to extend one appeal and then two next steps. Okay. One appeal and two next steps. So here's the appeal. Arise. That's it. From your long-standing paralysis, whether it's been eight weeks, eight months, eight years, or more, arise from your long-standing paralysis. God's restoring power is sufficient for you. Arise from your death. Arise from your, your seemingly hopeless death that should be buried. No, no, no. God's resurrection power is sufficient for you. Whatever may feel stuck or cold or dark and beyond any man's reach is not beyond the reach of Jesus the Christ who heals you. It's not. It's not. It's not. By his stripes, we are healed. And so the invitation today is to exercise your faith and simply arise. What's your paralysis? What's your grave? Arise. Stand to your feet it, it, as a confession saying, oh man, Jesus the Christ heals us. And if that's your desire, I, you know what? Maybe you should just physically demonstrate that. By, but yeah, I will stand. I will arise. If you long to experience the, the arising power, the healing power of God, go ahead. Make that known to heaven and arise to your feet. Amen. Amen. And this isn't an invitation to arise for closing prayer. No, this is an invitation to arise and say, yes, Jesus the Christ heals me. So something from your distant past, something that happened to you, something that happened because of you, arise. So something physical and visible, is it something that's emotional or spiritual? We can't arise. If it's something that, that has plagued you for years on end or something that has come on with a suddenness, or a sudden downturn of circumstances, we can arise. It's paralysis of unbelief. The death of your own love for or hope in God, even that we can arise from. Jesus the Christ heals. Uh, you're watching on Zoom. Yeah, you can arise too, okay? Yeah, go ahead and, and let it be known. Act this out physically, not just as a, you know, a, a magic exercise. No, this is a, a faith exercise. Saying to heaven, yeah, I want to arise today. And if it's your desire to arise, let me give you two next steps. Two next steps. Number one, put away your mat. I don't know what that is or what that looks like for you. But put away your mat and act in accordance with the wholeness Jesus gives you. Make your bed, put away your past, your hurt, your unbelief, your depression, your addiction, whatever it is. Stop making provision for your past as if you cannot leave that behind. Put away your bed. Jesus the Christ heals you. So that's next step number one, but also next step number two, if you're willing, present yourself to the saints, so to speak. Immerse yourself in community. Don't feel like you have to hero this out on your own. Immerse yourself in community with those that can support you and even with those that you can be a support to. Right? Just like Tabitha was brought to those who could cheer her on, but also to those that she could keep on serving. How about it? How about it? Yeah. 
Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is our desire. We just want to arise and be made whole in the power of Jesus the Christ. Thank you so much, God, that these stories of old are not just archaic things that we can just wow over. No, this is something that you are inviting us to live out today and the next day and the next. So here we are, God. We want to be arising from, well, you know, you can fill in the blank. Or cause us to arise to the healing and wholeness that is found in Jesus Christ. I pray for power and faith to actually put away our bed. I pray for the good sense to immerse ourselves in community. Lord, thank you that you make us whole because we've prayed in Jesus' saving and restoring name. Let the family say, Amen.